Hello, everyone. Uh, first, it was Gladys Berejiklian, and then it was Christian Porter. And now the old Everald and Young James Talk Politics show has added Liz Trust to its wall of scouts. I'm sitting here with Everald Compton here to discuss the uh, 44, 45 day Prime Minister. How are we, Ev? I'm, I'm fine, mate. I'm fine. And I'm pleased that, uh, you know, I've uh, lasted more than 40. In most of the jobs I've had in life, I've lasted more than 44 days. So I thought I'd have some sense of being, you know, uh, pleased about that. But look, looking objectively at the situation, <clears throat> first of all, I suppose we must commend her for resigning. The only decent thing she did in the entire time she was Prime Minister mm -hmm. resigned. Now, she had said she wasn't going to resign, and she could have sat it out. Uh, but obviously, there must have been a huge internal impasse in the Conservative Party, and she really, so, so she resigned. And the resignation speech was one of the shortest I've ever seen. Now, essentially, they say that she went because they're now calling her economic package trussonomics. Uh, uh, when Ronald Reagan was around, it was Reaganomics, uh, trussonomics. And, and they're saying that it's, you know, that the community rejected the trickle-down theory of economics. Well, if that's true, I hope that's right. But I think there was a hell of a lot more behind her going than the rejection of, of trussonomics. I think it showed the Conservative Party in England to be hopelessly divided, and that's shown by the fact that Boris is apparently flying back from a holiday in the Caribbean to throw his hat in the ring, and I'd be interested in your comment on that, but I don't think it was simply trussonomics. I think the Conservative Party realised that they'd appointed a real idiot, and mind you, <laughs> the blokes who voted in my view are idiots too, but a pile of idiots elected the, <laughs> the worst idiot. And, you know, and that's, that's where we got there. What's your view? Uh, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, like we, we look at what's happened over here and how there was the, the leadership ballot which got down to Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. And when it got down to Liz and Rishi, both of whom are proper, you know, died in the wall conservatives, um, it was the point at which the Tory party membership got the vote. And just like here where your rank-and-file Labor Party, Liberal Party, Greens Party members might not be necessarily representative of Greens voters, Labor voters, Liberal voters as a whole, the Tory voting membership um, aren't necessarily representative of Tory voters as a whole. And so Rishi came out and he said, look, we're going through a time of economic crisis. We can't afford to cut taxes or deregulate now because our budget is so blown through the roof. Liz Trust came out and said, no, no, I'll cut your taxes. The very wealthy, very white, very male Tory membership loves nothing more than a tax cut, um, especially to the top earning bracket. And so they they hitched their wagon to her. But then things sort of snowballed from there, right? After the, the tax cuts package failed, instead of accepting responsibility, Trust turned around and fired her chancellor on the spot, even though it was her tax cut package. And she threw, like we discussed last week, Wasi Kwarteng totally under the bus for that. Um, there were some other attempts at some pretty dodgy legislation too. Um, they were going to put through further laws to make it pretty much impossible to protest in public, um, which caused a bit of outcry. Her Home Secretary had to resign for using her own um, private email address to send government-related emails. And the whole, the whole house of cards just fell down. The well, and it shows that the Conservative 
party, the Conservative government is really, we've got to be quite blunt and say they're not fit to, you know, to govern uh, uh, England. Now, I believe that if King Charles III wants to have an indelible imprint on British history, and I think he, he wants to show that he's not just a tame follower of his mother, I think whoever they pick as their Prime Minister this week, the Conservatives, they'll pick somebody even though they're, they're in, they've got four factions who hate one another's guts, they know for survival they've got to pick somebody. And so they, they'll end up picking somebody. But I hope that when that person goes to the palace to get the, the handshake with the king, he'll say, I'm giving you a mandate for three months during which time you must call an election so the people of England, people of Britain, can have a say in who should govern them and who should be. And so I'm, I'm appointing you for an interim period and you will call an election to have your your, your position endorsed. But now, if he did that, I reckon it would rock him to the back here. What do you think? I mean, you're not wrong. You know, as much as I don't think he would, it would be awesome to see. I mean, <laughs> there was a clip that came out earlier in the week when um, Liz Truss went for her weekly meeting with the King and he, he did not look particularly keen to see her drop by. Um, but, I mean, it's it's a case of, it's a crisis of competence, right? Um, I think what's happening in the UK is sort of different to what's happening in America in that in the UK right now, they're having a crisis of governmental competence. Their government is not trying to do anything um, well, okay, they, they, they're trying to do things contrary to international law, but they just have elected a really, really terrible, useless, self-indulgent government who's not looking out for the people. You compare that to what's happening in America right now, where you have one of the major parties explicitly looking to turn the country into like a Christian evangelical fundamentalist theocracy. So I think there's we have problems facing the UK and we have problems facing America, two of our big allies two of our partners in the uh, very not-a-good-idea AUKUS treaty. Um, I think they're different problems, but I think they're both problems that should make us as Australia think, oh, should, should we have hitched our wagon so much to these guys? Well, we shouldn't have. I mean, I put out a tweet this week to say that AUKUS was one of the most stupid organisations I've ever seen set up, like we pitched our wagon to two failing nations, Britain and America, and failing nations, anyone who denies that is in delusion land. And obviously the, the people, who, if we want some committed people to help us fight China, Indonesians feel threatened by China and Indians feel threatened by China. Now, if we had an alliance, India, Indonesia, Australia, and we had a million there, that would make the Chinese sit up and look for just a little bit, and we would be looking after our interests here, and, and, and we don't need... Uh, these stubs that probably will appear by 2035 or something, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, ridiculous. So uh, this highlights how bad England is. But one of the worst things, of, this is, I mentioned before, Boris is returning from his holiday in the Caribbean. Now, Boris, there is a chance. I mean, the Conservative Party in England is so stupid. They're so fundamentally stupid. It is highly possible they could get Boris back. Now, first of all, he's got to get 100 MPs to nominate. Apparently, this week, you can't get nominated unless you've got 100 MPs that want to clear the field. So he, now, the issue is, can he get 100? I think he can. There's, a, there's at least 100 nutters, 100 super nutters out of the, the, the several hundred nutters that are there. 
and they're stupid enough to appoint him. Now, Britain's problems have basically been caused by the whole Brexit exercise, and whether you believe in Brexit or not, I mean, I don't like the European Union. I think they're a big tower of public servants, but when you look at getting rid of them, you've got to say, well, there's consequences. Boris ran that campaign for Brexit purely as a political exercise as a step towards him becoming Prime Minister. That's what had nothing to do with Brexit. It was a political step for him to take it. And now we got the... And to bring Boris back when he was... When he purely created the exit Brexit, Brexit exit rather for his own benefit, I find that horrendous. It's... Uh, he is... Um, he's a slimy one, isn't he? <laughs> But as I joked to a friend um, as, as soon as Crust resigned, because I was awake when it happened, that, uh, you know, you we were having a laugh. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be funny if they brought Boris back instead and then flick on the news, you know, go to sleep, flick on the news the next morning and you see Boris Johnson touting comeback might already have 40, 50 MPs on side to get to the 100 he needs to qualify yeah. for the ballot. And, I mean, if, if Boris Johnson comes back, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the the Tory party membership goes for Boris. I mean, he's Boris Johnson. He's a fun guy. He got Brexit done, if you if you listen to him. And, you know, he, he won a resounding victory in the 2019 election. So clearly the Tory membership and their voters do have some sympathy for Boris and do buy what he sells. And I I could very easily see Boris. The other, the other two expected contenders are uh, leader of the House, Penny Mordor, and um, the previously mentioned Rishi Sunak. Um, I, I, I think Mordant is probably the best. Now, Britain might be allergic about having two women in a row and trust didn't actually do their cause much good, but Penny Mordant only finished at it. In the, that first leadership, when they had to decide the final two candidates, uh, Sunak won it. And, and the two women, the two women, Trust and Mordant, were only eight votes apart. And so if five people had moved the other way, Mordant would have been in the race against Sunak. And now, uh, Mordant is a much, much more stable person than Truss. Uh, and she believed in Brexit, so hopefully if she got Prime Minister, she'd do something about making it work. She was a Brexit voter. I think she's got more stability uh, and, and should be at bat. And uh, she's the best of a bad bunch, isn't she? I mean, it's it, it gives us um, that, those those glowing comments you've made about Penny Mordaunt remind me of um, when Truss was elected. You know, all the conservative newspapers and that going in and saying Liz Truss is the the right pick, an intelligent pick, a classy pick who can lead us through this mess and will lead us through this mess to a stronger, greater, more powerful Britain. Um, uh, someone, a uh, Shane Batsy, the refugee advocate who was sued by Peter Dutton for defamation and ultimately beat him in the full federal court dug up Peter Dutton's tweet, calling Liz Truss like yeah. a smart, um, politically astute conservative who would be a great... Yeah, yeah we, we all had a big laugh about that. Um, so yeah. it's it's really... Um, it's, it's sad it's days. Funny, yeah. Sad days for the Brits. They're in a low part. The British Empire is all over. You know, they're in a low part. Now, what's interesting is the Scottish nationalists and, and, and uh, the Scottish uh, PM is now saying now's the time to break away. And, and and given the chaos in England now, if you had a vote in Scotland now, do you want to stay with England? They would vote to go. And they do it. 
And now you have over in Northern Ireland for the first time, Northern Ireland now deciding they want to enter into the negotiation with the South because what's the point of staying uh, with Britain? And so there's, there's ramifications, isn't there, that come out of all this. Oh, yeah, and those will be developing stories we're following. Meanwhile, of course, um, on our shores, we have Albo sort of boring the public into submission with how competent and good at his job he is. You know, no, um, no huge scandals of that nature. I'm not saying Albo's perfect, far from it. We've talked before about that he needs to dump the level three tax cuts, needs to be stronger on climate change, etc. But it's, it is like a breath of fresh air here to, to have a leader who is at least competent at the job of prime ministership um, yeah well look he, he Albo is not a charismatic man he's not a, a brilliant man but he gives in the quiet way he gets about that he gives the impression that he's in charge and, and so far he's managing except for one or two things we could argue about he's given the impression he's in charge that the ship is moving forward and and we don't have the great instability that there is in England or, or America uh, or even in New Zealand at the moment uh, where they're trying to get rid of Jacinda Ardern. Uh, and so I think Albo is sort of is a calming influence, uh, uh, which is what we want at the moment. Now, whether that enables him to survive for a long time is another matter. The budget next week, and we, I think we should chat about that, it will be a hallmark thing. Now, now, Jim Chalmers is the treasurer, but as you and I know, everybody in the cabinet and every Labor Party member in the uh, goes to Jim Chalmers' office and says this has got to be in the budget. So he winds up every day with another hundred requests to put something in, and another hundred requests to put something out. And, the, and then Albo finally, whatever Jim Chalmers decides, Albo's got to finally tick off on. But Chalmers got a terrible job, and then he got the industrial financial community and the media telling him what to put in the budget. So it's a pretty thankless job. So in the end, you've got to have a budget that works but, but keeps most of the troops happy somewhere. And Chalmers appeared to me to be quietly but positively going about doing that. But the remarks that he makes are always sensible remarks and he doesn't hide things. I mean, he made a statement yesterday to say the loss of all those fruit and vegetables in Victoria and New South Wales you're going to put our prices in the supermarket. Peter Dutton hops up and says, you, you can't talk down the economy. But all Jim Chalmers said was the obvious. If we're not growing fruit and vegetables, we've got to get them from somewhere else. The price is going to go up. And, and all he says is, well, we better factor that in. So I think he's handling, he's handling things rather competently, isn't he? Yeah, and I mean, obviously, competence is only one half of the story. and You need to be delivering outcomes for people as well. But what it boils down to is, and I think we've, you, you said it quite well, this, this, this idea of stability. And we at least, you know, when, when Jim Chalmers says um, something like, we're, we're looking at what we can do about these tax cuts, we probably won't repeal them this budget. They're not due to kick in for another two years. So we might look at something in the next budget. We're working towards budget repair, those sorts of things. You, you, you at least believe what he's saying. You believe they are looking long and hard about ways to get the, the economy of the country back on track and working for everyone. Obviously, being a Labor government as well, you trust them to do more pro-worker industrial relations reform and pro-worker rather than pro-employer um, labour policies, which is another good thing because obviously the cost of living crunch hits everyday work is the hardest. It doesn't hit um, your, your top flight CEOs as hard as it does the everyday workers. 
Um, so we've got we've got that that budget coming up, and I, I think this it, it's strange. Again, I've said this before on the show, but having lived with something like what conservative government for all but seven years of my twenty three year life, um, it's it's just strange, like feeling trust in in the government come budget time to do something cool and good. <laughs> Uh, true. Well, it's actually nine years that the Conservatives are in, mate. They're in between Abbott, Turnbull and Morrison. They're in for nine years. So you said seven. You actually have two more oh. two, two more years of pain. Uh, you know, but there are two things about the budget. In most companies now, you have your budgets several years ahead. You go to any boardroom, any, their budgets of what they're going to do are set years ahead, and all they do is look at them and adjust them, but they plan years ahead. I believe we should put in the constitution that when a government's elected, and, and this is what they're doing now, that the government shall put out a budget for the whole term. They, they, within six months of getting office, they must put out a budget for the whole term ahead so that Australia can see the plan for three years. Now, that's what any business would do. That's what a lot of families do. When you buy a house, you have got to have a pretty long-term budget. And so... I think this idea of having a one-year budget is bad business practice, and I think it, uh, you know, it ought to alter, and we start to do a bit more long-range committing. What's your view on that? I, I like the way you think. I mean, I, I don't know if, like, obviously, because we know how hard referendums are, um, constitutional amendment may not necessarily be the way to go, but to, to build, like, a convention or a custom of that happening, um, and to, to push, you know, you, you have the year of Jim Charles, maybe you should get on the phone to him and push for this when Labor wins re-election in 2025, uh, because I think it's a good idea. And I mean, it's, it's not something you have to follow strictly because you can't predict the economic conditions three years from now and what will be done. But it means then a government can say, we wanted to do this, but we couldn't because X, or we weren't planning on doing this, but now we will because X. And okay. it allows for like a reference point for a government to say, you know, the economy has gotten better, the budgets have gotten better, wages have gone up for the past two years, which is allowing us now to capitalise on. Yeah. You review it. You review it every year, and as businesses do, they sit down and say, what circumstances have changed? We need yeah. to review. But the fundamental principles are. So the other one is, I believe we should have a social budget every year immediately after the financial. But now. Money doesn't fix the world. It doesn't. Now, it's a thing we all got to have, and you got to, governments have got to spend it and raise it. We don't ever, in my lifetime, never seen where, say, where a, a, a government's got up and said, now, this is the way we're going to handle the social issues, not in the financial sense, in terms of policy and strategy and community involvement and relationships with state governments all over. This is what we're going to do about. Uh, about ageing, this is what uh, uh, we're, uh, we're going to do about uh, uh, education, this is what we're going to do about mental health and, and, and loneliness and, uh, and uh, 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 discord in the community and, and what have you. And this is the way we're going to mould the nation socially and we want every citizen in Australia to help us put these social issues in order, Indigenous Affairs, another one, so because money is not going to fix everything, we have to. And I've never seen the government put out a social budget. Now, do you reckon that ought to be possible? I mean, we, we have that with the closing the gap target, right? So, like, Indigenous um, That's incarceration. Only and, yeah, exactly. So it's definitely possible and measurable. 
And there are other things we can look at too, like wage gaps, like the, the wage gap between men and women, for example. Yes, the data comes out about that once a year or once every three okay. months or whatever, but it's not put in that big sort of focus like you say, whereas if you made the government at budget time sort of stand to and answer their plans for addressing all these issues, wage gaps, closing the gap, education divides, mental health, um, yeah, there's a whole lot of issues that we got, one of them being to stop all the divisions in the community and stop all the hatred in the community. And whenever I put out something about Scott Morrison on Twitter or Facebook, people come out with a terrible vitriol against him. And I say, well, look, just let him go. When he went on that public speaking circuit, they're going to pay him. People say, how terrible. I said, thank God he's going on the public speaking circuit. He's gone. Let's wish him well. Clap like hell. And I get accused of being a Morrison support. Why carry on all this damn vitriol about a bloke who's not worth touch? And let's, you know, let, let, let's, let's get on. But comes a good and bad, a good and bad guy. First of all, I want to say good this week. As you know, the Bureau of Meteorology, which they tell me has got all sorts of internal staff problems, was unhappy that they're called the Bureau of Meteorology and that people call them BOM, B-O-M. They apparently appointed some consultant, paid a couple hundred thousand to say, can you give us a respectable name? And, and I'm, I, I want to cheer Tanya Plibersek for calling him up this week and say, well, you both just get on, uh, you, know, you know, with your job. Everybody knows these all the bureau. Just get on with your job. So I think, and this shows you how government, 200, I would have, if they rang you up and James and said, We'll pay you 250000 James, if you can think up a new name for it. Holy hell, you'd do that before breakfast next morning, wouldn't you? <laughs> ah, yeah, it, it would set me up for a long time. And I mean, <laughs> one of the things that Albo and that talked about when they got into power was they want to reinvest in the public service and cut all these stupid, yeah, let's pay consultants $250,000 to rebrand our government agencies. Like, it's, it's pissing money down the drain. Oh, it's, it's, it's an absolute waste of money. And yeah, every time right. you see, yeah, that, that this could be, you know, three, four nurses paid for for the year, but instead well, it's... Right, so Tanya did a good job telling her to shut up. Who's your good guy for the week? Uh, so I've got two good guys for the week because they're both um, occupying the same field. It's the Australian women's netball team, the Diamonds, and Pat Cummins, the Australian Test cricket captain, both of whom this week have taken a stand against... Um, their teams taking advertising money uh, from mining companies and energy companies who are obviously killing the planet. Uh, the Diamonds uh, took issue with uh, uh, having to wear Gina Reinhart's company's logo wow. on their jerseys after an Indigenous player on the team sat down and talked to the team about the horrible things that company had done to Indigenous people's in kicking them off their land to open up mines um, over the course of that company's history. And Pat Cummins spoke about um, he doesn't want to wear the Alinta Energy logo on his shirt, Alinta being the major sponsor of the Australian men's cricket team, because Alinta is something like our fourth or fifth biggest polluter uh, coming out of Australia. Well, it's good that those blokes are yeah. here for them. Now, coming to the baddies and then the one or two other little anomalies before we run out of half an hour, Senator Thorpe, I think I got her name right for Green, Senator Lydia Thorpe, yeah. who had a relationship with a bikey. Now, first of all, it's her business if she has a relationship with it. If it's a good relationship, you know, good on them. 
but you can't be a leader of a, a, a deputy leader in the Senate if you're sitting on committees looking at all sorts of issues about criminal behaviour in Australia and whatever you and, and she's teamed up with a bloke who's bikey gangs involved in political behaviour that's not typically right. And so it seems to me that while I'm very happy for her to team up with anybody she wants to, it wasn't real smart, uh, you know, getting involved, wasn't it? In political terms, it wasn't real smart. Well, uh, like you said, it, it, for, for me, it's the... Um... It's the the fact that she was sitting on that Senate Parliamentary Committee on Criminal Intelligence, which was heavily involved in investigating bikey gangs, which makes it problematic. If she disclosed it, no problem. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think some a point people have raised, and I think it's a very good point, is that there's a there's there's a Liberal National member kicking around who's in a relationship with a, a high-ranking journalist, press gallery. Um, and we're not applying the same scrutiny on that sort of relationship. Well, we're going to get on to that one too. Yeah. So, who is your baddie? Um, so my bad guys of the week are the New South Wales and Queensland governments. It's come out in recent days that both of them, um, the UN prison inspectors who come around, you know, they go to every country and make sure that the prisons are complying with international law standards, that prisoners aren't being subjected to torture, unjust isolation. Uh, that they're being fed, clothed, housed, you know, clean, etc. Um, the New South Wales and Queensland governments both denied the UN prison inspectors access to the state prisons, which is a really, really worrying thought. Because, like, what do they not have to hide? No, it's, it's quite disgusting, really. Not smart. No, and like they could have said, you're given admission on these terms, and we're happy that these are the terms or something like that. But it always made, when they denounce it, it always makes it look as if there was something oh, yeah. that there's something wrong. There we are. Now we're just about running out of time, James. But a couple of a couple of things that uh, I think we should uh, uh, talk about next week. I, I, I think that there's a report out this week that says that two out of every three owners and managers of nursing homes in Australia, aged people's homes and facilities, are gone broke. That they go and bankrupt. Now that's the thing that I personally don't believe. I think if they're going it's bad management. My experience of it is that they milk money out of the people in the homes like you wouldn't believe. And so I'd like to have a chat there about the nursing homes because it could be that I'm faced with a chance of having to go to one. I want to tell you what I'm going to do if they tell me I've got to go to one. And, and so. Uh, That'd be one to have a yarn about the next week. Did you see that uh, that, that headline? Uh, no, I didn't. The um the uh, other two headline. Two out of three say they gone bankrupt. Yeah, not sure if I believe that. Uh, the other headline I saw this week that did catch my eye, but we didn't get a chance to talk about, was um Dan Andrews announcing as an election promise that he was gonna um create like a state-owned power company, and it would be all like owned by the government, so all the profits would go back to the government, could be reinvested in schools, hospitals, roads, but well, it was I'm also going to be entirely renewable. That. Yeah. What public facilities of anywhere, that's a good topic, what public facilities of anywhere should be in, in private hands. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a good one. The other one is, I, I presume that by next weekend, the jury in the uh, Brittany Higgins, and I can never remember the guy's name, but they're out. They've been out for two days and couldn't make up their mind. They've got to come back on Monday. One presumes that by next Sunday, 
if they haven't made a decision by next Sunday, I think the judge has got to call it off. How many days is a judge allowed to have a jury out there making um, a fine judge? I don't, I don't think, I, I don't know if there is a limit. There might well be, but I'm not sure. I've, I've never dealt with such a high, uh, high profile controversial case in my time where there's had to be a jury who's so deadlocked that they can't come to a, um, a verdict. But we will, uh, we will soon see how that pans out. Obviously, the, the wheels of justice do often turn slowly. They've so got to be we'll, unanimous, haven't they, James? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Able, can they have a majority vote? I'm not sure about what it is in the ACT. Um, they they recently changed it in New South Wales. So for some, some very limited set of crimes, um, you can have an 11 to 1 verdict. But other than that, it's, it's yeah, you've got to be unanimous. So um, if, if the ACT is anything... Well, well one, one hope, yeah. whatever the outcome, it's not good for either Brittany Higgins or I think the guy's name is Brett. Not good for either, but also it seems to me the whole thing has reaped a politician sticking their head into it in the right from the start. And I think once the case is over, I'd like to have a good look at how, you know, how that all went on. It wasn't a... A good, a good call, and also by next weekend we'll know what was in the budget. And one of the things people are missing is focus on Jim Chalmers as it should. And I've got a terribly high opinion of Jim. Peter Dutton's got to do his first performance as leader of the opposition to criticise the budget. And I'm going to watch that on Thursday night to see does he make a valid criticism, or does he go down the trussonomics way with an alternative? Seeing Peter Dutton said that Liz Truss was the great leader. Well, he come up with a, a trussonomics reply on Thursday night. What do you think? Well, I think that'll be something to watch. I mean, I think next week we'll have to devote a lot of time talking about what's in the budget and what's in the, the coalition's budget reply. Um, and obviously then we'll be doing that all again in another five, six months' time when the, the budget returns to its normal. That's true. Um, well, that's it so should be a good one next week. Well, I think we've run out our, uh, our, our half hour, James. It's been good to have a, a chat there. Uh, chat again and uh, and uh, and we look forward to people uh, telling us on Facebook and Twitter this week what they think about this podcast and we generate a bit of debate out there but good to chat to you again and look forward to seeing you next Saturday morning yeah as always Ev thanks for listening everyone and ciao for now